Let's go. Joshua chapter 5, let's read it together. It says this. Now, when all the Amorite kings west, west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings, there were a lot of kings in opposition along the coast, heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over, their hearts melted in fear. I love how Dill said last week, when the church moves, the enemy melts in fear. And they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Verse two, it says, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So that's just weird for me because I'm thinking like, my, my, my thinking, don't worry, if you're new to church, we're talking about circumcision, don't worry, we're gonna have a class afterwards. It's an equip class. <laughs> uh, and every male in the room went, didn't go amen, he went nah. Just a reminder, if you're new to church, you're reading the Old Testament. So it's a physical picture of where we walk in spiritually. It, you don't have to get, it's going to be fine. So anyway, so at that time, he said, make flint knives. and circum-. Now I'm thinking, to be honest, God, if the enemy's filled with fear and they've got no courage left in them, my thinking would be, make flint knives and let's circumcise the Jericonians. That's what I call them. That's the plural. I don't know what Jericho, whatever, the, the people in there. Now's the time. Let's go. But God goes, no, 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 no. I want to do something in my people's heart first. First, I've got something that I want to show them first. And it goes against what we would think. But actually, what I love about it, I mean, if to be honest, circumcision makes you very, very vulnerable in a place of surrender. It's almost like I've got nothing. I've got no strength left. And I love that thought because in the New Testament, the key to God's presence in your life lies in the ability for you to surrender. It's when I get to the end of myself God shows himself strong on my behalf. This is where they were. And so God says, make flint knives. And then so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. And now this is why he did so. Thank you for explaining. Listen up. (laughs) Why did you do it, God? All those came out of Egypt. All the men of military age died in the wilderness on their way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. Circumcision was a sign of God's covenant. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who of military age when they had left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons. I love that. God doesn't raise up slaves. He raised up sons in their place. And they were the ones Joshua circumcised. And they were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised cheap, as God is giving a lot of alliteration. We just, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of that word. And I'll show you why it's important now. And then he says, and then it says, and when they remained, they were in the camp until they were healed. And so then jo- Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the shame of Egypt from you, the reproach from you today. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means it's been rolled away. I love the fact there's a connection between a consecrated heart and a God who rolls away the shame over our lives. In fact, this church should be called Gilgal because when we meet here, we meet under the premise and under the boundary and under the, 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 the wings of a church that have, uh, that, have, that have been rolled away. Shame has been rolled away from us. Guilt has been rolled away from us. Our past has been rolled away from us. We stand in Gilgal. It's interesting in the book of Joshua, every time they went to fight a battle, God always say, come back to Gilgal. Our starting point for victory lies in realizing that God rolled something away we could never roll away on our own because of him and his work. They were at Gilgal. 
On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while they camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Say Passover. Passover. I love this thinking. There they are. They've been circumcised. They're now celebrating a Passover. They're eating a meal. And God positions them in front of their enemies. It's such a beautiful picture of Psalm 23, where the Lord provides a table before our enemies. It's almost like we get to sit down in front of our enemies. The reminder that no matter how dark the world is around you right now, no matter how dark South Africa is, what the world looks like, we can stand and we can be seated at the Father's table. Because when we're seated at this table, it doesn't matter what the enemy's doing because God's on our side. He seats us before an enemy. And he did that to the children. That day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped that day after they ate this food from the land, and there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But they ate that year of the produce of Canaan. God changed their diet. And now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? This man who was Jesus said, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. In other words, I've come to take over. Joshua, listen, this is less about me being on your side. This is about you choosing to be on my side. Joshua, I know you, wanna, you want uh, me to be your co-pilot, but listen, I want to ask you, do you want to be my co-pilot? Because guess what, uh, what, what's going to happen? I'm going to fight for you. Have you ever seen that? Jesus has a sword out, which is such a picture of Jesus declaring victory over our lives. You know, in the Great Commission, they announced, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel. With the Great Commission came a great announcement. All authority in heaven and earth is being given to Jesus Christ. In other words, before we started, there's a victory announcement over your life. That the God who started a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It's all summed up in His work and His provision and His grace. There is a sword that stands over us that we not not fear because we stand in victory. Oh, Jesus shows up to Joshua and turns it around. Joshua is thinking, hey, are you my side? Hey, he's going he's gonna to chuck Norris him. He says, no, 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 my man. This has never been about your strength and your strategy and your ability. This is whether you're going to choose to get on my side. Because if you're on my side, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you. Right till the end. And then I love how Joshua, Joshua falls face down in the ground in reverence. Face down in surrender. And he says these words, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Maybe today there could be a question in your heart. What does the Lord have for you today? What, what message does he have for your servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I wrote this, just take off your sandals as a reminder that your strength won't suffice. God has something better for you. You know, my sandals represent my strength. My shoes represent where I can go. And God said, no, you're gonna have to take those off because where I'm taking you, you don't need them anymore. There's only so much you can do in the flesh. What you really need is an anointing of my Holy Spirit. I've got three things. If you're taking notes, the title of my message is, this is what we have. This is what we have. It's a reminder of the good news of the gospel. And I think sometimes, as I said earlier, we are pursuing something out there. But God says, this is what you have. Do you remember that song from Tom Cochran? It went something like this. Life is a highway and I'm going to ride it all. Okay, just me. Anyway, so uh, all night long, yes. We got, you know, we, inevitably as human beings, we're on this highway, but we've got destination disease. If you ever travel overseas, what you do to log in your flight is you go to your destination. 
You almost want to get somewhere. You want, you've got goals to get at. You want to set it out for this year. We're always looking at destination, but what if it's more about what you carry and your deposit inside of you? And God reminds us. And you know what the first thing he does to his people? He says, I want you to remind you that you have his spirit. You have his spirit. Do you see how many times God mentions circumcision? I'll tell you how many times. 13 times in six verses. And you know what's amazing about circumcision is that he takes rid of the flesh because you couldn't live by the flesh in the New Testament. You're called to live by his spirit. Galatians 5 says, no longer gratify the desires of the flesh. How do you overcome the flesh? You live by his spirit. Ephesians 1 says, you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, which lives in you. It's a reminder that our walk with Christ is not about what we do, but about what he's given us. The prophet Joel prophesied, he said, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. My young men will dream dreams and old men see visions. What was it? The spirit would be poured out on all people. It's a reminder of the church that our power is not lied in our ability, our might or our strength, but by his spirit. I, got, I want to do a quick uh, 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 example to you. I'm going to need two guys here. Shane and Cameron, why don't you come and join me up top here quickly. Come on, boys. Come and join me up top here. Look at these men. These guys are twins, eh? Am I right? There we go. <laughs> Look at that. And it's Cameron and Shane. I got it right. So guys, just to say, Cameron uh, shared the word with our transit group this morning for the first time. And, um, and why don't you just come a bit this way? Um, it's Shane, eh? Okay. So I got it right. Cameron and Shane. So Cameron, you're going to be Jesus today for me, okay? Awesome. And uh, Shane, you're going to be, uh, I'll let you know now. Anyway, so John, John chapter 9, verse 6. Jesus has this encounter with the blind man. You're the blind man. And, uh, and, uh, and so can you close your eyes for me? Thank you. All right, so, so, so here's Jesus, there's a blind man, and they come to him, they say, listen, God, they, they, these Pharisees, they come around, they want to test Jesus. They say, Jesus, how come this man's blind? Was it because of his sin, or his father's sin, or his mother's sin? And you know what Jesus does? He, he's almost going like, this has never been about sin. This man's blind so that the power of God will be revealed. You know, when I look at these young men, these men, you know, and I think sometimes in our life, we're so focused on sin. God says, hey, I've taken care of that. Your life is about the power of God being revealed. Your life, Shane and Cameron, is about the power of God being revealed. Now watch this. So Jesus, what's happening, my man? Nice. Your mom's going to be surprised you're Jesus today. <laughs> and your youth group, eh? <laughs> and the transit crowd. Anyway, so, and, and Jesus, you know what he does? He kneels down. Why don't you kneel down for me, my man? There we go. He kneels down and he starts filling on the ground. There's some mud on the ground. But you know what? It's interesting. Jesus spits on the mud. You don't have to spit on the mud. Is he? And you know, I love it. He, he spits on something so ordinary, Mud. Now, can you imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They're all like spitting. How can the Son of God spit? You know, spit is often like associated with, you know, it's, it's pouring disgust on something. But you know what's interesting in this story? Here's the blind man here. He can't see. He's just waiting for a touch from God. He's thinking Jesus is just going to command it like he did to the sea. He's just going to say a word and he'll be healed. But no, Jesus does something different. Why the spit? I wonder what spit's made of. I'd like to ask you guys, what's spit made of? Anyone tell me? Water? No, that's, that's yeah, yeah, sort of right. Saliva, same thing. Spit and saliva. What about you guys over here? What's spit made of? Sorry, bacteria. I said I said bacteria. 
You know, you know what our spit's made of this morning? Lots of coffee. A coffee breath when you get home, there's like, oh. And, and you know, and you know, but you know what? They've worked out. They've said that, so they've proven that spit is, I think it's like 90 something percent DNA. DNA. And if you think about it, in that moment, Jesus was taking his DNA and depositing it on some mud, ordinary. Won't you get up for me, Jesus? You've now picked up the mud. And then he puts it on this man's, won't you just turn around and face it? And he puts it, won't you put, it, put your hands on his eyes? There we go. Just hold it right there. That's what you call brotherly love. I'm about to show you Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'll open your eyes physically. <laughs> and, and you know what I love about this? You know what I love about this situation? Just pause for a moment. Snapshot. Here's a snapshot. Here's us. We like the blind man. You know, we've come, we, we, we couldn't help ourselves if we tried. We couldn't get ourselves of the hole we've landed in. You, you know, we, we've been blinded, not here, but here. The Bible says that we were far from God. All of us sinners, all of us been cast aside. We couldn't save ourselves out of a paper bag. We couldn't do it if we tried. And he has this man for years, he's lived in this infirmity. For years, he's wondering who would save him, who would rescue him. But along comes Jesus and he spits, puts mud, ordinary on this man's eyes. And you know what he says to him? He doesn't even heal him in a moment. You know what he says to him? He says, walk away and then go and wash. Walk and wash. Walk and wash. And you know what I thought about? I thought about, you see how powerful that is? Sometimes we want to get our lives all perfect for God to do something to us. But actually in the walking, God washes something in our lives and he brings healing. And he brings healing. Now, 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 now think about this for a moment. He says walk and wash. But guess what? DNA. DNA, DNA means spirit. It's his DNA in our lives that changes us. Think about it for a moment. You know, in my own DNA, I'm limited. I'm living by the flesh. But with his, with his DNA, I live by the spirit. By my DNA, I live in trauma. With his DNA, I got a testimony. With my DNA, I feel like a victim. With his DNA, I am conqueror in all that Christ has for me. I'm more than a conqueror. My DNA, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm up and down all the time, up and down all the time, I'm not sure who I am. No, no, his DNA, he reminds me he has a spirit, which I'm a son and daughter in his house. My DNA, I've got so, something of strength and I think I'm clever. His DNA, I have the wisdom of God on my side. My DNA, I fall flat because my shoes take me so far. His DNA, I'm adorned with a shoe shod by the gospel of peace, which fills my heart every day. There's a peace that passes all understanding. Can we give it up for our volunteers? Thanks. Twins, the sons of thunder. I wonder if, like the blind man, just for a moment we've come to the end of ourselves. Because to be honest, all we're looking for is a touch of God. To touch that place where it's really hurting. For him it was his eyes. And I don't know what it's for you. And you've tried everything the world wants to offer you. But it's left never doing anything. It might short-term touch you, but what you really want is a touch from heaven. And you know, you know this generation, they were called the wilderness generation. They had never seen God for themselves. Their mom and dad had gone through the Red Sea. They had never done anything. They lacked identity. And God came to them and said, listen, I want to show you what you have. 
you know, today we get like Gen Z, Gen Y, Gen AA. I don't know. I've lost track of who I am. And the world tells you, Gen, these were the Gen Ws. And it wasn't because they were woke. And it wasn't because they were wonderful. You know what it was for? W. They were wondrous. And you know what? Wired into our human DNA, we will wonder too. And we wonder if... If I go and join that club, I'll get an identity. If I go and do this, I'll get an identity. If I go and do that, I'll put my identity in my family. I'll put my identity in my children. I'll put my identity in my business. I'll put my identity in my corporate success. I'll put my identity, but God says that's short-lived. Put your identity in Christ. Put him in him. And he says, men, look at me for a moment. You know what's good news? Is the men didn't have to circumcise themselves. I thought the story read each guy to himself. Can you imagine that? <laughs> you see, like, <laughs> they're like, hey guys, good luck, you know? Good luck. You, you know, I thought, because that's a bit like the Christian life. You know, you, you get born again and then you're like, oh yeah, and then, you, and then you walk like it's a bad thing, you know? Like, oh shucks. And it's like more anar than it is joyful. But you know, the story says Joshua did it. In other words, when I see Joshua, I see Jesus. You cannot consecrate your heart, only Jesus can. You cannot try and do it in your own strength. You need the DNA of heaven, his spirit to fill your heart because your flesh will fail, but his spirit will never. And if you allow Christ to, to, to consecrate your heart, you walk with a freedom and joy like never before. What if it's less about where you're going, but more about what you have? I have the spirit of God in me. God did it. He did it, and he wanted to do it for that wandering generation. You know, I'm reminded of a story. I love this story, true story of a widow who lived in the complex, and she, you know, she hadn't been left much, and she was challenged around. Every month, there'd be a shortage of food, and she, would, and she, she, she was faithful. She would open her windows wide, and she would pray out loud, say, God, Never once have I been short of food. Never once has my pantry been empty. I'm going, and she would remind God, God, I'm going near the end of the month now, like God doesn't know the time. It's the 26th, and I need some provision, God. My pantry is running dry. And she would pray at the top of her lungs, and that whole complex would hear her praying. She would pray morning and evening, and she would remind herself, God, if you did it last month, you can do it again. But next to the widow, yes, thank you, next to the widow, next to the widow was an atheist, grumpy old guy, huh? And he would hear, he was agitated by prayers every day. And he got agitated, he was like, mm, I'm gonna prove that God doesn't exist. So this guy, grumpy old guy, got in his car, drove around to the supermarket and bought a car load full of groceries. And he drove all the way back and he put the groceries on the widow's porch. And then he knocked on the door and he went and hid around the corner. And the widow came out and opened the door. She couldn't open it because there were so many groceries. And she stood there like this and tears began to roll down her eyes. She put her arms on the air and she said, God, you did it. You did it, God. You heard my prayers. And with that, the neighbor came around the corner. And he said, no, 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 no. God didn't do it. I did it. I drove down the supermarket. I loaded it full. I drove all the way back. I put it on your front porch. And then I knocked the door. And I did all of this to prove to you that God doesn't exist. And the widow, with that twinkle in her eyes, looked back like this and raised her hand one more time and said, God, you did it. You did it, God. And you made the devil pay for it. Hey, 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 hey,
But I want to tell you, Genesis 50 verse 22 with Joseph, he said, what was intended for harm, I'll turn for your good. In Romans 8, it said, what was meant for evil, I'll turn it all for your good. Salvation, it was God's work in the beginning. It's in the middle and it'll be at the end. He's the one who said he's fully committed to your life. Think about this wilderness generation. They're wandering in the desert. Hey, is God gonna save me? I'm not sure he is. Hey, you know, my mom and dad, they were murmurers and complainers and, and they died off. Now what's gonna happen? You know, have you ever asked those questions? God, are you on my side? God, I try to do my best and then you punish me and things go bad in my life. And God, are you for me and everything? And God wants to remind you, no, 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 listen, generation. This has never been about what you need to do. This is about my love for you. This has never been about your record. This is my record on your behalf. This has never been about your faith. It's my faith committed to you. And you know what? happened when they went through the Jordan can you remember that they like got to them they wet their feet and then they walked through do you remember that and I bet you there was two groups of people one that was like "Ooh, I got faith baby they were singing get up get up get up get up and praise the Lord and they're like mm, mm, God is good all the time and then, and then there were guys at the back in flippers and goggles and they're like we're gonna die we're gonna die Yes, we're going to die. We're going to make it through. And they look at the water and everything. Guess who made it on the other side? Every single one of them. Which means it's never been about the quality of your faith, big or small. It's the object of your faith. Jesus Christ paid the price and did what you could never do. And he said, listen, I'm fully committed that if I would save you, I'll see you in heaven. Oh, church, I think I'm going to go now. I'm like, guys, that is the best news I've ever heard in my life. He's going to take care of my sanctification. He's going to make me grow. He's going to put me in heaven again. I'm going to rejoice. Guess why? Because with a great announcement is a great life because victory has been declared over us. Joshua met the man Jesus, and Jesus came him in a way that he needed him the most, like a, arm, like a commander of the Lord's army with a sword drawn. What was he saying, Joshua? Joshua. You might have a big fighting battle scenario in your life. You might think you're a soldier, but you haven't met the commander of the Lord's army yet. And when our hearts see that, it changes everything. It changes everything. We have a spirit and we have a sacrifice. God paid a price for you and I. That's why they celebrated Passover. You know, Jesus, in all four gospels, he celebrates the Passover, he celebrates the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, he did it at Passover. You know what he was trying to make a connection? He's trying to show the people, you see the Passover lamb? You see the, the one, you remember they put the blood over the lintels? And he came to bring justice that night. He didn't just bring justice over the Egyptians, he brought justice over the Israelites too. And he said, Israelites, it's not dependent on your pedigree and your race and your work performance and everything. No, this is dependent on the quality of the blood that's gonna go over those doorposts. When the angel went past, when he looked and he didn't go like, hmm, fun sales, four out of six. Okay, doing good. All right, let's save them. No, he didn't look at the quality of their faith. He looked at the quality of the blood on the doorposts. Friends, do you know the quality of the blood over your life is Jesus Christ. He is the perfect lamb. When John looked at him, the Baptist, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Where do you get that from? Isaiah 53, he says, there will be a man who is like a sheep that we brought to slaughter. And by his afflictions, you and I and transgressions will be set free forever. Jesus Christ paid the price for you and I. And he said, you know what? The only way you're gonna do that, Israel and Egypt, is when you take a lamb, you slaughter it, you eat it, and you put the blood up. And when you put the blood up, what you're doing is you're gonna have faith in a substitutory sacrifice. 
Jesus Christ. You see, that is a picture of what real love is. And that's why they celebrate Passover. Because the thing our hearts need more than everything is an example of what real love looks like. We are craving for real love. And God gave them a sacrifice. He said, when you celebrate Passover, you will recognize that it was never about you, but what he did for you on the cross. And Jesus at the Last Supper, he says, take, take it. You see this meal? You see that meal? It's Passover lamb meal. Whenever we take this meal, you can be in the presence of your enemies. But when you take this, God changes everything about your heart. The more you take it, and you know what often happens, to be honest? I take this flippantly sometimes. I was saved in an Anglican church. Anglican church communion every Sunday, three times a Sunday. And you get into a ritual of just like, I drink the blood, I take the blood, I drink the blood, I take the blood, I drink it, I take it, I drink it, I take it. But you know what this is? This is the gospel. This is a reminder that it's never been about your performance, but God's performance on your behalf. This is salvation. It's never been about your commitment to him, but his commitment to you. And you know, I'd ask you, if I came to you, I said, do you understand this? You go, mm, I understand it. I believe it, but I'm not sure we do. Because I don't understand it sometimes. Because I've got days where I'm up and down in approval. I've got days where I'm up and down in criticism. I've got days when I wake up, I'm feeling grumpy and not sure God loves me. And you know why? It's because maybe, just maybe, I need to revisit this and remind myself of what I have. Because when I see what this is and what real love is, it reminds me that my future is secure, that my present is powerful and my sins have been washed away. When we do this and we celebrate this meal, we realize it's a miracle because he saved us and rescued you and I. We have a spirit, we have a sacrifice, and then we got a savior. Jesus showed up to Joshua. Jesus wants to show up to your life. He loves you. He wants to show you a saving grace. I want to close with a story. It's, it's a story written by a guy by the name of Eusebius. He was a church historian. He wrote the story in 300 AD. But he wrote about the Apostle John. And he wrote about Apostle John's life. And he's got this one story about the Apostle John. Now, if you know the Apostle John, he wrote John's gospel. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He wrote the book of Revelation while he was in prison on the Isle of Patmos. John had a revelation, if anything, of the love of God. And John was the only apostle to live to an old age. He lived in modern-day Turkey. You know where the earthquakes happen now? That's where John was. He's in a local church. And the story tells us that John, at his old age, he won a son to Christ. He, he had Shane and Cameron as, as, as young disciples, and he loved them, and, and, he, and, he, and he won them to Christ, and, and, and he formed a relationship with this young son, and he looked after him, and he, John had to travel, though, and he was going away. So he said, look, I'm going away. Will you? He said to the local bishop, would you look after my son? And the bishop said, no problem, I'll look after him. And off he went. John came back two months later, and he went to the bishop. First question, where's my son? How's he doing? And the bishop said, oh, he's gone. John said, what do you mean he's gone? He's gone from God. John said, what? Gone from God? And with that, he ripped up his cloak in grief. He said, give me a horse. And he got on a horse. He said, no, this boy's gone back to the mountains. 
as a young kid, he was part of gangs. And in those days in Turkey, if you were in the mountains, you were part of a gang. And if you were part of the gang, no one went to the mountains. If you went to the mountains, it was certain death. John said, give me a horse. And the old man got on a horse and galloped up into the mountains. And he was captured by the, the, the gang, armed men. And he said, I want to be captured. Put me before the judgment seat. And they took him up before the leaders. And when he arrived, one of the leaders was his son. And as he ran towards him on his horse, the son turned, armed, and ran from him. And John got off the horse and ran from, towards him and said, listen, my son, I'm prepared to die for you because of the Savior that died for us. Stop. Trust me. There is hope because of what God did for you. And they reckon the son stopped, threw his weapon away, fell to his knees, and in tears, John embraced him. And took him home. And I thought to myself, where did John get such courage from? Where does John would risk his own life for a son? Where did John get some freedom from? Where did he find such courage to live a life that was that would give up his life for this young man? And you know, if you read his, you read John's gospel and you go, one John. And then he goes, chapter one, and he writes about God's love. Chapter two, and in chapter three, God, John's heart begins to explode. And he writes these words. He said this, behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us through Jesus Christ, that we are children of God, and that is who we are. Do you see that? John had a revelation of how much God loved him how much the Father had done through Jesus Christ. Because when your heart gets a picture of how much love He has for you, it sets you free to live the life you call to. Just this last week, I was um, lying in bed with my little daughter. She's got this little Bible, and every day she does like a one-day thing. And so she reads it, and then we talk about it. And some nights I just go, amen, because I'm tired. <laughs> you just give her a cuddle, and it's like, okay, thank you, Jesus, you go to sleep. And anyway, this night was talking about a father that comes close. And she, she looked at me and she said, Dad, I miss Granddad. I said, why you miss Granddad? She said, Granddad had big arms. Granddad had hairy arms. Granddad had tanned arms. He was a farmer. And she said, Granddad liked to hug me. And hold me. She said, Granddad always played a trick with us. And I said to no, no, I think I know the trick. Because when I was a young boy, my dad used to do that with me. And he would pray for us. And then when he finished, he would wrestle with us like a dad would. His big, tanned, hairy arms. And he would hold us like this. You know, after a while, you get a bit claustrophobic. You say, Dad, let me go. And he'd say, no, 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 I got you here forever. And little Anna turned to me and said, you know what? He used to hold me. And he said he had me forever. And you know what? I think, to be honest, that's what God, the Heavenly Father, wants to do for every one of us. Put his big arms around us and hold us tight. You know, Jesus said, to Peter, you know, Peter came, they celebrated the Last Supper, and Peter, you know, Peter was quite like, hey, you know, Jesus spoke about his death. He said, no, Jesus, don't worry, you're not going to die, I'll die for you. 
He said, no, Jesus, don't worry. I'll never let you down. And Jesus said, no, 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 Peter, you are going to fail me. And he looked at all his disciples. He said, you're going to fail me. But you know what's not going to fail you? It's my faith in you. My faith in you will never fail. My commitment towards you will never fail. My strength towards you will never fail. I'm a heavenly father. And when I get you in my arms, I'll never let you go. Why don't you stand with me?